Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jancy. And for this episode, we are going to be looking at the top five Ottawa Senators what-ifs. Now, this past season was the 25th official season of the Ottawa Senators, and there have been many highs, there have been many lows, but more than anything, there have been many what-ifs. And Tim and I are going to be looking at the top five Senator what-ifs from the Ottawa Senators over the past 25 years. Let's get it started. Number five. What if the Senators hadn't traded for Peter Bondrup? Okay, so stop me if you've ever heard this one before. The Ottawa Senators come off a season where they were one win away from the Stanley Cup Finals. So, the very next season, they decide they need one big splash move to get them over the hump. So, they decide to go out, locate that big splash move, overpay for it, and it ultimately doesn't get them over the hump. Yes, a mere 13 years before the Senators would repeat this process with the Matthew Shane trade, Ottawa would trade a prospect and a 2015 second-round pick to the Washington Capitals for their star sniper, Peter Bondra. Bondra, a two-time 50-goal scorer from Slovakia, was a hot commodity on the trade market after Washington decided to trade off their stars and begin a rebuild. His arrival in Ottawa was big news to fans who felt him coming to Ottawa could be what they needed to get them to their first delicate. However, this would not be the case as Bondra didn't exactly light the world on fire, only scoring five goals in 23 regular season games, and not even scoring once in the playoffs as Ottawa were eliminated for the fourth time in five years by their provincial rivals, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Bondra would leave the Senators in free agency and sign with the Atlanta Thrashers in 2005. While Washington ended up trading away that second rounder to the Colorado Avalanche, they did, however, keep the prospect from the deal. Moose Jaw Warriors centerman, Brooks Lake. While Lake didn't become a superstar, he was a solid centerman, playing on both the bar play and penalty kill during his time, while averaging 45 to 50 points during his 11 seasons with the Capitals. Okay, so let's open up the floor, Tim. Now, given everything that I've said here, do you think us not trading for Peter Bondra could have or could have not been a good thing for us? Hindsight, it's like I don't really see how this changes a lot. Like, not having the dud Bondra might have opened up the full, opened up space for a prospect to come for earlier, but at the same time, it's neither really here nor there. Because mm-hmm. I feel like even for like the 2006-2007 runs, you had uh, Ottawa had very strong center depth with uh, Spetsa, Fisher, Comrie, Dean McCammon, and people coming in and out to fill that hole, so I'm not really sure Brooks like was missed. Having that extra second would have been nice, because there was definitely a, dra- like a hole in the Senators drafting after 2001. But then again, I'm not sure they would have done all that much with it. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm putting it at number five, just because, while it was a big deal at the time, in 2018, it's really not that big of a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm sure maybe 10 years ago this was a bigger deal, but it's just not that big today. Yeah, although having an... Like, I say that Brooks like may not have been missed, but again, have, if he developed and it was an extra 40 points, and Ottawa doesn't have to go and find some a journeyman like Dean McCammon... Yeah, well, and also uh, post Stanley Cup run in like 2008, 2009, 2010, where we start bringing guys like Matt Cullen 
and some of the guys we had at center. Mm-hmm. Brooks Lake could have fit in in the third pairing role. Mm-hmm. Although nothing guarantees Brooks Lake stays. No. Yeah, and Brooks actually, to be perfectly honest, Brooks Lake is probably an upgrade over my, someone like Mike Conry. Mm-hmm. Number four. What if Steve Weisman had became a senator? Steve Eisenman is widely considered to be one of the greatest captains and leaders in hockey history. Drafted fourth overall by the Detroit Red Wings in 1983, Eisenman would go on to have a very decorated NHL career, winning three Stanley Cups in 97, 98, and 2002, a number of awards including a Selkie, Lester Pearson, Masterson, Consmythe, and Olympic gold medal in 2002, while becoming the Red Wings' second all-time leader in points over his 23-year career, 20 of which he was captain. However, in the early 1990s, Eisenman was not seen in the slate. Sure, in 2018, and with the power of hindsight, the very thought of trading Eisenman, the very thought of Eisenman and the Red Wings becoming, being playoff underachievers, is absolutely absurd. And to make it even more absurd, Detroit seriously considering trading Steve Eisenman after being upset in the first round of the 94 playoffs due to the then-year, third-year San Jose Sharks in seven games, and the team the Red Wings almost dealt him to was the then-second-year Ottawa Senators. Now, let's look at what an Eisenman trade to the Senators would have looked like and who would have gone the other way. With Eisenman heading to Ottawa, the most logical player heading the other way would have been Calder Trophy nominee Alexei Yashin, as he was the player Detroit most likely would have coveted the most. Eisenman becoming a Senator becomes huge news in Ottawa, as the Senators now have their longtime captain, and they also have a player who can be a face of a franchise to the Anglophone community who was raised in the Ottawa community of Nepean. With Eisman flourishing in his new role with the Senators, Alexei Yashin becomes a fan favorite with the Red Wings, teaming up with fellow Russian Sergei Fedorov to create an unstoppable 1-2 scoring punch. And when head coach Scotty Bowman puts together the Russian Five, Yashin, along with Fedorov, helps dominate with the group. While Yashin's time in Ottawa was ugly due to, his, due to the team not paying him what he deserves, Yashin in Detroit didn't see this problem as the team gives him a long-term contract worth millions more than what he would have ever gotten in Ottawa which results in Yashin being happy and doesn't hold up for two full seasons due to contract situations. With all this being presented, how exactly would both teams' legacies would have been altered had the trade happened? I know some may take this as a hot take, but I personally feel trading Steve Eisenman to Ottawa, Detroit ultimately doesn't get over the hump and makes it to the finals with Yashin due to his inability to come up big in the playoffs, and as a result, the Red Wings go down as one of the biggest playoff underachievers in NHL history. While it's tough to say whether or not the Senators would want to win the Stanley Cup with Stevie Eiserman, we could be talking about Eiserman in the way that we talk about Alexander Ovechkin until he won the Cup in 2018, and we could also be talking about it as being one of the greatest ever to not win a Stanley Cup. Also consider this, with Yashin in Detroit, he doesn't hold out in the 99-2000 season, which results in Alfredson becoming captain, and also, also means he doesn't get traded to the Islanders in 2001 for Sedano Char and the second pick in the draft, which turned out to be Jason Spetson. So let's open up the floor once again, Tim. What do you feel about this? Do you feel like Stevie Y could have been the guy that we've always needed or wanted in Ottawa? Or? I don't know, because the hard thing is, is when you look at the Senators around early, mid-90s Senators team, I, you get a lot of, this is a new team, they don't really know what they're doing in intentional tanking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once they get, like once you get Alfredson Bonk, and even Chris Phillips into the mix, you've got a much stronger team. I guess I, you probably still get Alfredson into the mix if you have Steve Eiserman. I wonder if you get Bonk. That's a good point. I don't. I don't know if you. I wonder get... if you get. You don't get Steve, Chris Phillips. 
you you get just trash in the 96 draft. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, it changes a lot of the draft. And as you said, you don't get Jason Spetzer or Zidane Ochara. No. So I think this is a trade that was best not made. Like, for both sides. Because Alexei Yashin can't... He can't perform when he's due, and Alexei Yashin, like, his career is a lot shorter than Steve Eiserman's is. Like, if it was a one-for-one Yashin for Eiserman one trade, Detroit loses instantly. And I think even within a few years, people recognize it as the loss it is. For Ottawa, it's good. But, again, hindsight bias, we got more out of Mike Milbury than we would have gotten out of Detroit at the time. Mm-hmm. But also think of it this way, right? Had Eisenman been in Ottawa, they could have marketed him to the Anglophones, and they could have marketed Dag to the Francophones. So you could have had both of them, right? But Whereas, I don't think the team... Where, who exactly were they trying to market Yashin to? Because he's not Canadian. He's not American. He's not He's from North, not more, not from North America, so you couldn't market it to them. Could but you... I don't think the Sens really needed that sort of marketing because... At the time, it was, holy shit, Ottawa has a hockey team. And ownership money troubles mostly came out of just how badly the construction of the Palladium, uh, now known as the Canadian Tire Center, went. Like, that whole thing was just bled that owner dry. So I'm not sure marketing was an issue. And, like, the Ottawa Senators consistently, like, they were able to fill where they were, and then they're able to fill up the CTC, CTC Palladium, Corel set, or whatever you want to call it. So I'm not sure, Mark, like, having, like, that Homestar Stevie Y is a great marketing pull, but I don't think it was necessary. And then, I think, like, nativist marketing hasn't, the senators have never really needed it. Because, like, your big senator stars have almost always been foreign-born anyway. So you have, uh, like, Eric Carlson, Daniel Alfredson, Yashin. So, like, it's always been foreign board guys anyway, with the ex- Ho- Marion Hosa, with the exception of Jason Spezza, and I guess Wade Redden. And even Philly for, like, Philly and Neil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess if, and I guess I'd be worried that if early on a team's going to be pulling in for, like, that local flavor so early on and, st- and kind of closing itself off to those sort of star stars just because we can, the idea that we c- it's easier to market an English person to an English person. Right. Yeah, so I'm not sure marketing really com- really sh- is that big consideration, and I, I'm glad it wasn't with the early Senators. Okay. Number three. What if the Senators had drafted Anze Kopitar in the 2005 NHL Entry Draft? The 2005 NHL Entry Draft will go down as one of the better drafts in league history, with players like Sidney Crosby going first to the Penguins, Carey Price going fifth to Montreal, and Tuka Rask going 21st to Toronto, only to be dealt a year later to the Boston Bruins for Andrew Raycroft. No mention of Bobby, of Bobby Ryan. <laughs> and Bobby Ryan second to Anaheim. It was in this draft that Ottawa decided with the ninth pick to select Moorhead High School's Brian Lee instead of a young center who was considered the best player in the draft not named Crosby. His name was Anze Kopitar. Let's say for a minute that number four on this list actually happens. In 2005, with Eisenman entering his final NHL season and with Yashin in Detroit, which means the Sens don't have Jason Spetz in the pipeline because Yashin to the Islanders doesn't happen, Ottawa decides not to select Lee and selects a young Slovenian center by the name of Anze Kopitar instead. Kopitar joins the team for the 06-07 season and is immediately placed on the top line with Danny Healy and Ottawa's new team captain, Daniel Alfredson. With Alfredson's leadership and Heatley's scoring ability, Kopitar flourishes as the team's new center, 
and he got runner-up for Rookie of the Year to Evgeny Malkin. Pairing Kopitar with Alfredson, even long after Heatley wants out of town, works wonders as Kopitar's passing abilities, coupled with Alfredson's knack to go into the corners and create scoring chances, continues to help an Ottawa offense that over the next couple of years changes drastically. In 2013, after Eugene Melnick refuses to give Daniel Alfredson the more money, Alfredson decides to leave town, which leaves the team's captaincy open and the team decides to go with Kopitar as their new leader, which only lasts for a couple of seasons until Eugene Melnick once again refuses to pay the big bucks to keep Kopitar in town, and he is shipped out of town. So let's talk about this. Now, say number four actually did happen. I think this would be a very logical choice to go with, but obviously number four didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I guess the thing about the Sens' what if is, I think we're all still scratching our heads is, what did they see in Brian Lee? Like, what was the at-the-moment decision-making? I think at the time, Ottawa was trying to get some more defense on their team because they knew they were loaded offensively. So maybe they felt they didn't need more. They needed more people in the back end to help them out. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was the decision why they went with Brian Lee instead. Yeah, and I think that's just... A, it really is just an example of don't draft for positional need. Mm-hmm. Draft the best. Because this just this is another example of, and going back to our dra- like best sense draft class episode of just the sends wait just wasting another draft year, and I think the main takeaway from this what if is had the sense drafted Kopitar like I think their post Stanley Cup years like post Stanley Cup run years would have been a lot easier for them because you would have had another All Star center so you would have had you would have basically had a lineup of centers that rivals Pittsburgh. Yeah. With Kopitar, Spezza, Fisher. Yeah, you would That's have... That's disgusting. Yeah, exactly. You would have seen a center, like a, like a top three and top six centers that rival teams like Detroit with Federoff and Eisman, Colorado with Forsberg and Sackick, Pittsburgh, like you were saying, with Malkin and Crosby. Plus they had uh, Jordan Stahl. So, like, Crosby, Malkin, Stahl was a gross... It's just gross down the pipeline, down the center. Yeah, exactly. And this could have been what the Toronto Maple Leafs are ha- doing right now with Tavares, Matthews, and Kadri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even at the top, like the contemporaneous 2007-2008 uh, Detroit Red Wings where you had <laughs> you had Datsuk and, uh, why am I blanking on, Zetter, like Datsuk and Zetterberg down the pipe. Wasn't Zetterberg a winner though? Didn't they play, doesn't he play both? You, could, you might play both. You might play both. I think I think I know him more as a winger. Mm-hmm. But it's like, there was a lot of very strong one-two punches. And to be perfectly honest, Spezza Fisher was nothing to sniff at. No. But Can you Spezza, imagine Kopitar. Spezza, Spezza Kopitar. And then you have Antoine, yeah, Danny Heatley, Daniel Alfredson, Antoine Vermette. And you could probably shift Fisher to a wing. Or move, or move Comrie to a wing or something. And you've got... You've got something terrifying, and it works pretty well under the stamp, the salary cap until uh, Kopitar's RFA years are over. Mm-hmm. Number two. What if Eugene Melnick hadn't bought the Senators in 2003? Eugene Melnick will go down as one of the most despised figures in Ottawa sports history, with a track record that includes throwing fans under the bus for not selling out games, butting heads with front office staff, and letting the team's greatest player, Daniel Alfredson, to lead the team as a player in 2013 and as a senior advisor in 2017. However, in 2003, Eugene Melnick was not seen in this light. 
In fact, he was not only loved by the Senators fans, he was seen as the savior. In 2003, after a decade of financial instability under owner Rod Bryden, the Senators, along with the Buffalo Sabres, hit rock bottom and declared bankruptcy in early 2003. With the Sens now being owned by the NHL, one man went out to not only buy the team, and, but save them. This person was pharmaceutical businessman Eugene Melnick. Eugene officially bought the team and the Corral Center on August 26, 2003. Under Melnick's ownership, the Ottawa Centers not only became financially stable, but also entered what some call the Golden Age of the Senators, with a President's Trophy win in 2003, two division titles, and a conference championship in 2007, falling short of their first Stanley Cup, and falling one goal short of their second conference title in 2017. However, despite all of these accomplishments on the ice, it was off-ice dealings in 2003 that began a snowball effect of unhappiness from the fan base towards Eugene. In June of 2013, Captain Daniel Alfredson was in contract talks with GM Brian Murray, when talks then fell apart due to the team's unwillingness to give Alfredson more money after Ottawa refused to budge on their offer. Alfredson left, then left town and signed with Detroit on July 5th, leaving many fans outraged that the team would allow their captain to leave town. After the Alfredson debacle, rumors begin to surface of the financial state of Eugene Melnick, which continues to this very day. While Melnick has denied claims that he is struggling financially, signs everywhere prove to be the opposite. Such signs include the overall maintenance of the Canadian Tire Center, an incredibly small front office and scouting department, and fan favorites like Kyle Turris being dealt out of town due to Melnick not wanting to spend the big bucks to keep him. Although in Turris' case, Melnick didn't want to keep him. Things really be began to come to a head with rumblings of a couple of ownership groups, one of which was Cirque du Soleil, lining up to buy the Senators, with everything stated before happening, and an official NHL story that the Senators received a loan to meet salary payments in late April 2018 from the league. What's interesting is, if we leave kind of Senator space and go into Eugene Melnick space, especially on the pharmaceutical side, we see just this very, like, it's funny that 2013, even before 2013, there was the rumor that the Sens were operating on cost per point. And this really happened around 2011, 2012. In, in 2010, Melnick's company, BioVale, was, it was merged and taken over by Volant, another Canadian pharmaceutical company. In 2011, it turns out that Eugene Melnick and his team knowingly falsified accounting records and were charged with, with several counts of fraud by the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States. Melnick was actually barred from operate, being anywhere near a boardroom for five years. He was also sanctioned by the Ontario Securities and Exchange Commission later that year. So you really see the shift in the centers from willing to like pony up the money, pony up the big bucks for players to cost for point, we're not going to pay for that. Repairs on the CTC starting to take less of a like a priority. After Melnick is basically booted out of the pharmaceuticals industry, mm -hmm. so like that's really the big shift. It's funny because this what if, this what if could really be split into two what ifs. Like what if what if Melnick didn't buy the team on one end, or what if Melnick wasn't a crook on the other? Right. Because this is a guy who was convicted for cooking the books. Mm -hmm. And I guess the big thing is, is you'd probably have Cirque, Cirque du Soleil would probably have just bought the Senators in 2003. Yeah, but there's nothing that would have proven that, right? Because 
Melnick was one of the main guys with a lot of money in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and that's why a lot of people looked at Melnick like, oh, this guy could be the next owner of the Senators. Yeah. Like, that's the hard thing with Ottawa, though, is that I guess maybe, like, Carell was still a thing at the time, so maybe the owner, the guy, like, the ownership group of uh, Carell, so- the software company, I guess you could have had, like, the like F- like the Epcor group might have ponied some money. Maybe Minto. So the Min- Min- the Minto group is another uh, real estate holding group. And that's the hard thing, though, is there's just... There wasn't a lot of chatter outside of Melnick buying the team. And I guess maybe Melnick just ponied up an offer no one else wanted to match. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a tough what-if. But now we know that the group include, And I guess, like, the Hunt group as well could have been in. Like, we just don't really know much about the situation. Right. And it's kind of... It's funny because uh, the Ottawa Senators themselves are quite bizarre because they're like a, they're, it's a sole proprietor ownership of a, of a sports team. You don't really see that very often. No. Because, like, for instance, uh, like Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment is owned, was owned for a very long time by Ontario Teachers Pension. Well, I guess in basketball you might see it more often with guys like Mark Cuban and Steve Ballmer. Mm-hmm. But they're also... Big B billionaires. Yeah, and there's also the guy who owned, just bought the Houston Rockets, too, this year. Mm-hmm. Or Tom Dundon down in, Cal- in Carolina. Yeah. But you see a lot of conglomerates, like, uh, buy teams, and there's a lot more stability there. Like, as much as the Leafs went through a terrible time at, during the 2000s and mid-teens, to the point where uh, the Sportsnet Nation blog for the Leafs is pension plan puppets, where based on the pension plan, they did like the invert, the opposite Melnick. It wasn't so much we don't have the money for this, let's not spend. It's these idiots will keep coming, let's not spend. Yeah, that's what Harold Ballard did in the eighties too. Yeah, with the Leafs. And it's it's rough. So like with the what if I really don't honestly don't know because it's not like the senators were like the senators attendance issues only started recently Mm -hmm. and the senators were filling up one of the largest buildings in the league like at over eighteen thousand. yeah yeah like a sellout for pittsburgh isn't a sellout for ottawa and it's a fun little comparison there so part of you has to part of me wonders if like it's just the nhl model without tv rights which just might not it may be very not terribly tenable for smaller market teams. Mm-hmm. Like, because you have to make your money with the on like like on ice product. Like, even like even if you're selling out every game and you still have money problems, something's going on there. Yeah. Unless Melnick it Melnick has other issues that he's using money from the hockey team to subsidize. Yeah. And there's just so much that we don't really know other than He's refinanced multiple times, had to get loans to make payroll from the league to know that he's in finan- like in some form of financial distress. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's impossible to say what another ownership group would do. And would it just be pure stability? Would it just be... Would we be in a similar situation, but with a less virulent owner? Like, it's very difficult to say. For sure. And our number one top five senators what if is... What if Dominic Kasich hadn't got injured in the 2006 Olympics? When we did our top five sense teams last summer, I made the decision to make the 2005-2006 Senators as my number one choice for the top Senators team of all time. And why wouldn't I? The team, This team had the first year of the cash line, the last year of both Sidney and Wade Rudden being teammates, 
and a veteran goalie by the name of Dominic Hasek, who was killing teams night after night. That was until he got hurt in the 2006 Olympics. Hasek's injury was a huge blow to the team, not just because they lost a superstar netminder, not just because the team then had to turn to rookie goalie Ray Emery, rest in peace, but because once Hasek was healthy, he refused to play. This sort of behavior was not uncommon for Hasek, as he had pulled the same thing during the 1996-97 season when he decided he was not healthy enough to play despite him being cleared to play and forced the Sabres to start goalie Steve Shields, who went on to stone Ottawa in the first round, only to be eliminated by Philadelphia in the second round, which caused head coach Ted Nolan to lose his job at the end of the year. Didn't help that Hasek told GM John Muckler to choose between him or Nolan. Despite Hasek being healthy and pleas from Senators players, including Daniel Alfredson to start, Hasek didn't play a single game for the rest of the season and playoffs once the Olympics were over. Though Ottawa would go on to beat Tampa Bay in the first round, they were ultimately knocked off by the Buffalo Sabres in the second round. Despite saying he would play the next season on a base salary of $500,000 plus bonuses, the Senators didn't re-sign him. Hasek later signed with Detroit and won a second Stanley Cup in 2008. His decision not to play angered many Senators fans as they saw Hasek as being the key to their first cup, even though Ray Emery would backstop the Senators to the finals the very next season. A season in which, had Anaheim lost both Game 6 and Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, Ottawa would have faced Dominic Hasek and the Detroit Red Wings. And what's so funny is that Detroit was seconds away from winning that Game 6. Yeah. And then Hasek bobbled the puck. So, some might say that's comedic justice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've, Ray Emery played very well in that 2006 stamp, like uh, playoffs. Like, I feel like in that one, it was more the team failed, like the team's offense failed to produce. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can't, you can't really fault Ray Emery. So, I, I'm not sure much changes. But what I think does change, no Marty Gerber. And that actually really eases the Senators' salary cap constrictions. Because they end up paying Marty Gerber something like three and a half. Something like something that. Something stupid. Like, that was a rough contract for, Mar- for Marty Gerber. And that alone, I think, help, would help the Senators a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, all I remember about Mark. Yeah, like, he ended up getting 3.7. Oh, Jesus Christ. And he was a backup. Yeah. Like, I just... It was weird because it was... You could see the... It was like emergency thinking. Yeah. It's like, we need a goalie, but we also need a goalie who has some Stanley Cup experience. Yeah, because he just come up winning the Stanley Cup with Carolina. Even though, I think Matt... Like, Cam Ward played pretty much every game, right? Yeah. Yeah, jeez. All I remember is... Although, Marty Gerber, he... He was lights out that 2007, 2008... Like, the beginning of 2007, 2008. Yeah. Before the team collapsed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and although I still think the only real strong Marty Gerber memory I have is Gerber gets waved by the Senators, picked up by the Leafs, and the only game he plays for Toronto is the last game of the season against the Senators. And it's a game, game that means nothing for either team because they're both locked out of the playoffs. Yeah. So Gerber stands on his head because, of course, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Well, Tim, that wraps up the top five Senators' what-ifs. Now, do you have anything you want to talk about before we head off into the close for another day? Not really. It's just these... The what-ifs are definitely fun to think about. Although, like, especially with ones that require a lot of, like, what-if business, it's it's always so hard to think 
unless you really see behind the books yeah. of each group, you don't know what's the best interest of each company. Like, the example that I always throw it is uh, one of my favorite shows, uh, show series, Macross. It's being the company that holds the right to it. Harmony Gold has basically just patent trolled it for almost 20 years now. Even though there's been more shows being put out in Japan, and some of them are incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. So you have to wonder what calculus Harmony Gold's doing to come to, we'll just sit on this, because everything Harmony Gold has made since has either been stolen or crap. Okay. So it's like, who the fuck knows what would have actually happened. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the top five Ottawa Senators What Ifs. I hope you enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I loved recording them for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlightplugsensecast. Because our bod Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter, at thirdlineplug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m 91 honeybadger and I'm at greatwhitegipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about some Ottawa Senators what ifs that we missed for this episode, choose an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. My time here is up. They're going home!